BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. I'm your host, Jason Greenblatt. With tensions rising across the world, diplomacy is needed perhaps now more than ever. During my time as former White House Middle East envoy and as one of the chief architects of peace between Israel and its Arab neighbors, I've had the chance to witness the power of diplomacy firsthand, and today, I would like to share that perspective with you. Shalom, salam, and welcome to The Diplomat. Today, my guest is Bacha Angar Sargan. Bacha is the deputy opinion editor of Newsweek, so she's a colleague of mine. She wrote a book recently called Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. She has a show on Rising, which is on The Hill TV. And we discuss the Mar-a-Lago search and President Donald Trump in connection with the Mar-a-Lago search. Take a listen. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Bacha Angar Sorgan, thank you for joining me for this special edition of The Diplomat. Uh, very timely because, you know, the Mar-a-Lago raid has been in the news all over the place. You've written about it. You've spoken about it. Uh, and let me start the interview by sort of saying, in case my audience doesn't know who you are, I have a lot of respect for you. You are more to the left, let's just say. I'm more to the right. Um, you're not a pro-Trump person per se. In fact, I've seen, I suppose... Like many, you know, criticisms of President Trump. Um, I'm not saying any of those were unfair. I just want to, you know, get it out there that I am a Trump advocate. I've worked for him for 23 years, and the description of you as it relates to Trump is perhaps different than me. But that's why I think this episode is so important because we're going to try to tackle this Mar-a-Lago search uh, from two perspectives, and we'll see if we meet on this. Uh, I, I want to start with your piece in Spiked Online. From August 16th, with the title, Trump is Still Scrambling the Minds of the Elites. I also watched some of your work on Rising, which is on the Hill TV. And I think that your piece in Spiked and your conversations um, on Hill TV on Rising, together with a Wall Street Journal piece from today by their editorial board, which we'll get to later in this interview, are probably among the most intelligent, rational, honest discussions about what's going on. So let's talk about it. Why did you write the piece in in the in Spiked Online, and what's your main point there? So, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here um, on the Diplomat talking to you. You're also somebody that I have um, learned to have a lot of respect for, um, and uh, it's really uh, an honor to be joining you here. And thank you for all the work you've done for the American people and for the Jewish people. Uh, it thank really you. bears repeating. I wrote the piece because on Friday, after I read the um, released warrant um, that led to the raid on Mar-a-Lago, um, I had the sense that um, it, it, at this point in time, 
the American people now had as much information as every person, um, you know, pretending to be an expert on this topic in the media um, and in the expert class. And on Friday, I tweeted something to the effect of you, the American people now have all the information that is currently available to anyone except a few people in the FBI and the DOJ. Um, you are now totally equipped or as equipped as anybody else to judge how big of a security breach um, what President Trump did um, was and um, to make your own judgment about that. And the expert class on Twitter went crazy. I mean, the tweet got completely ratioed. It was two hours before Shabbos. So I was obviously going to log off and, you know, thankfully was spared having to worry about it or care about it for 25 hours. But um, the expert class just went nuts at the suggestion that the American people had as much information as them and were, it was complete. I said, it was the job of every American to decide at this point with the information that you have, um, whether or not there was a security breach here or how big it was. Um, and, and I thought to myself, you know, it, it bears repeating, you know, it bears, um, repeating that the, the, a lot of what happens in the expert class, the so-called expert class is not actually expertise. Um, it is intuition. It is, judgment that's better or worse. And as we know now with the, you know, the whole Russiagate um, story having imploded, much of it, most of it when it comes to President Trump turns out to be wrong. Um, and so I just wanted to make that point. Um, you know, the American people, I'm a populist, I believe deeply in the wisdom of the American people. And um, I, I wanted to have that on the record um, that they are equipped to make these decisions. And in fact, it is their civic duty to make these decisions. And we don't have enough information to make those decisions well right now, but whatever information the experts are claiming to have, they have too. And and um, I thought that that was an important point to make. Uh, I agree. Look, what, what really struck me from your piece and your interviews was at the moment, this is what we have, meaning you're not taking a position as so many of these experts and journalists are Oh, Trump did X, Y, and Z based on either faulty reporting leaks that maybe they're correct, maybe they're not correct. You're saying at this moment in time, here's what we know. We have enough information to make our decision today. Our decision or our, our conclusion may change tomorrow or in a month from now. But don't just listen to all these people get on TV and make all sorts of conjectures. So why don't we start with that? Uh, you know, maybe you need to update it slightly. I'm not sure because the piece is not from today. But I love how you started with Here's what we know right now. Why don't we give the readers a, a summary of what we actually know, not based on conjecture. You know, you could touch on that so-called nuclear secrets leak. Um, what do we actually know that's factual? Right. So we actually know that uh, the National Archives retrieved about 20 boxes of documents from Mar-a-Lago. I believe it was in January. And we also know that after that fact, a subpoena was issued um, for more boxes, more documents, and that um, the Trump team believed that they were complying with that subpoena. Um, you know, uh, people from the DOJ showed up at Mar-a-Lago. There was a very friendly conversation. President Trump showed up for it um, and that they were under the impression, or at least they have said that they were under the impression that they were complying with that subpoena. Um, and we now know that some someone spoke to the DOJ 
from within the Trump team, apparently, and said that there are still more documents. There was footage from outside of a, a basement where some documents allegedly still were, and that the response to that testimony was the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Um, we know from the warrant what was taken, um, you know, a lot of it was, you know, very vague. We know that there were um, documents that had very high levels of classification markings on them. We know that, uh, you know, the clemency order for Roger Stone was among the documents, um, something to do with, you know, quote, the president of France. Um, and that's it. That's what we know. That's what was taken. There has been other reporting, but it has not been substantiated. So the Washington Post had this uh, very explosive claim that, you know, some of the documents pertained to nuclear matters, but no Nobody else has corroborated that. There has also been sort of breathless, you know, it could be that, you know, the names of undercover CIA agents were part of this. But, you know, again, this is there's been a lot of breathless conjecture from the president's political enemies. Um, and then um, the, the Wall Street Journal um, in a recent editorial suggested um, further that the, the, the Biden administration, which claimed had, that it had not been informed um, that this was going to take place, actually potentially had been informed ahead of time. So that, that's all we know, you know, so. Um, you know, like so the affidavit that led to the raid, a judge has now ordered that that be redacted and released. Um, we don't know what's going to be in it. We don't know how much we're going to be able to tell from it. But I wanted to ask you a question as somebody who has known the president, the former president for uh, over 20 years, um, who knows his character, who knows his heart. Um, what is your assessment of the likelihood of what took place here. You know, the New York Times called it his penchant for keeping mementos, for keeping tchotchkes um, uh, from, from his time in office. W what is your assessment of what is you know likely to be in those boxes um, and his intention with regards to complying, not complying? I mean, that's so much more interesting than anything. I have to say, you have the real insider track. Hey, who's the host here? Who's conducting the interview? <laughs> that's a very fair question. I think before I answer the question, mm. I want to play a clip from Maggie Haberman's, uh, an interview that she did on CNN. So you raise, I mean, there's a bunch of different explanations, but you raise one possibility that this may be more about the president's, former president's personality than anything else. It could be. And he was certainly known as somebody who liked to show things off. He liked to show off the accoutrements of being president. Tchotchkes, you Ch had called them. And when, he was, when he was a businessman, he had tchotchkes in, the, in some corner of his office. Shaquille O'Neal's giant shoe, he would show off a lot to visitors. And it was always the same tour. Um, in, he liked showing off these Kim Jong-un letters when he was president. People would come to the Oval wow. Office, reporters, uh, you know, visiting dignitaries you name it, and, and he would wave them around. And, and we know that at least some of those were among the items that were at Mar-a-Lago. I listened to that and I thought to myself, kind of along the lines of your question. So I've known the president, worked for the president for 23 years. I know him really well. Mm -hmm. I would never feel comfortable on mm -hmm. CNN or anywhere else trying to get into his head and figure mm -hmm. out and say, oh, he likes to take tchotchkes, I think she said things like that. And this is why, uh, frankly, I'm not even sure why that's news. Why does Maggie Haberman or any journalist get to guess what's in his head? And that becomes a major news story on CNN. Uh, I could see it if it's Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, myself, people that have known him close to him for years and years and years might make news, but somebody who really has no inside track, I don't understand it. That said, you ask a fair question. Look, he is being very forceful in his response. Um, I think he's confident in his response. When I see things like that, 
It leads me to believe, and he's also very smart, by the way. He's a very smart guy. You know, if he thought he was doing something that was either illegal or taking things that he shouldn't have taken, that's not his character. He doesn't uh, purposefully try to get himself into trouble. So I don't see him as a guy who started to take things that were nuclear secrets, for example, or things like that. Um, I, I can't say with certainty, you know, we started the interview by saying, this is all we know today. Um, I don't know what's in his head, but I'd be very surprised the guy that I know and worked for would do something untoward like that. The Kim Jong-un letters, sure. Uh, but let's remember, those were addressed to him. He made a big deal about those. I don't know why those would have been classified to begin mm-hmm. with. They came from an mm-hmm. outside source. It's not something that you know the CIA discovered. Um, maybe he was, should have only kept copies of those and given the original to the National Archives. Maybe they belong in the, in the Trump Museum one day. But I don't see that being a problem. Does he have something on Macron that's in there that you know Macron doesn't want released? Uh, possibly. That you know that doesn't justify this unprecedented raid. Uh, I could see that you know as being a, a subject of curiosity more than anything else. So the direct answer to your question is I don't know. It doesn't sound like what I'm reading. The breathless reporting, as you call it, in the New York Times and the Washington Post and elsewhere, it does not sound accurate to me. A lot of it is based on speculation, conjecture, leaks. We don't know who these leaks are coming from, uh, but that's probably the best way I could answer your question. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair answer to you? No, definitely. And and to me, um, you know, the initial his initial response, um, I got the feeling that he had no idea what was in those boxes, um, and which to me tracks with his character, tracks with the reporting from the Wall Street Journal, which I trust about the final days of the administration, the rush to pack things, throwing everything in boxes, to, you know, as well as things being in Mar-a-Lago just because that's his home during the, and and it that that seemed to me, you know, he has no idea what's he's not keeping things here that he hopes to use. He just doesn't know one way or the other. That's what it seemed to me. And as his response got more and more forceful, I thought, oh, yeah, that that's, you know, hit him sort of retroactively thinking, I don't know what's in them. There's obviously, you know, not something incriminating. And so, you know, building up his confidence to take on the case that this was politicized. So that's another important point. The He's not taking something to use. It would shock me if he took U.S. secrets in yeah. order to trade them, which is some of the crazy reporting that's out there. Again, I don't know for sure. I'm not there. I'm not in his head. I haven't seen what's in the boxes, but the accusation that he uh, stole, whether it's nuclear secrets or whatever it is, in order to trade it and start to make money, that is absolutely not the Donald Trump that I know and that I worked for. So that would be very shocking to me. Uh, You mentioned the Wall Street Journal, so I want to talk about this other very sane, rational article, or this is an editorial by the editorial board. I'm sure there were others as well, but this one caught my eye this morning. It's entitled Washington's Mar-a-Lago prosecution by leaks. And I just want to read the first paragraph because I think it's very important and will lead into my question to you. Merrick Garland opened a press briefing two weeks ago with the words, since I became attorney general, I have made clear that the Department of Justice will speak through court filings and its work. Then how does the right honorable attorney general explain the multiple leaks to the press concerning the Department of Justice investigation of Donald Trump's handling of presidential documents. It sure looks like someone is prosecuting the case through the media. You got to love the Wall Street Journal because they get their point across in a you know respectful but kind of tongue-in-cheek way. Definitely. Um, I think they make a really important point. Who are these leakers? Can we trust them? I worked in the White House. You're a journalist. You've heard from leakers. I've seen leakers. Uh, one of the best things that happened on the team that we worked on is nobody leaked because we were out for the mission, not for ourselves. 
what's your take as a journalist when you, and I, I did a, actually I did a, a podcast some weeks ago with Jonathan Swan and others about leaking and how damaging it is. Um, what's your take on leakers and is the wall street journal characterization, does it sound right that the department of justice is actually leaking information to keep this thing alive and sexy and trying to try it through the media? Um, I don't know enough about the inner workings of the DOJ to know if, you know, how high up the, you know, the, the, um, leaking is going um, and the authorization for the leaking is going. I will say my initial reaction to the raid was that it showed a deep level of um, disrespect to the American people to do this without some kind of statement explanation ahead of time or at the time of or right after or the day after. Um, The idea that we are supposed to just eat it um, we're just supposed to trust them at a time when what they're doing is making it so hard to do that because it does have the feeling of being politicized. Um, I felt that that was deeply disrespectful. Um, and the leaking, it only reinforces in the minds of the people who feel that the press sees them as their enemy, right? Um, it only reinforces in their mind the idea that there's this kind of deep state that is in cahoots with the Democratic Party, in cahoots with the liberal media, and that this kind of um, elite cabal is out to get them. Now, I don't think there's a cabal. Uh, I do think that there is a lot of um, class solidarity among the elites of these different sectors, and that that class solidarity ends up expressing itself in what could look very much to people like a conspiracy. Again, I don't believe there's a conspiracy there. But to have so little respect for your political opponents that you don't feel the need to justify yourself to them through normal channels, that you don't feel the need to disabuse them of the idea that there's a conspiracy, that really bothers me. Even though I don't think there is a conspiracy, you owe it to them to convince them. And I think that we've really lost that. And and um, by the way, it's not it's not left versus right. I speak to you know working class Democrats all the time who look at this with kind of horror. Um, I spoke to a friend who, um, a working class friend who, he never liked Trump. He was never a big fan. He always felt that, you know, a reader, a leader should rise above was how he always put it to me. And he felt that, you know, too many, too often Trump didn't do that. And he said to me after the raid, I'm all in now, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to vote for him just to stick it to them. And the them are people he would have voted for 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know? Um, so I, to me, that's really what you're seeing here is that just, just enormous levels of contempt that the elites have for the American people writ large who don't exist in, you know, their expert class, commentariat class, um, you know, and, and, and that that class divide is really getting more and more stark. And just the, the, that feeling of being, you know, above the law. To me, it's not as much about the law, though, of course, it is as well as being above the need to justify yourself to your neighbor, to your fellow American who doesn't have the same level of power as you, who doesn't have the same platform as you, who will never be on CNN, who will never be, you know, have an audience with the president. You know, that really bothers me a lot. And I think that was, to me, one of the really big pieces of this puzzle. I agree. And let's talk about these leakers for a little bit more. So this goes beyond the sort of Maggie Haberman conjecture. Here's how I see the potential leakers and tell me where I'm wrong on this. The leaker either is totally uninvolved, in which case the journalist taking the leak, whoever it may be, 
shame on them because they shouldn't be relying on unreliable leaks. <clears throat> or the leaker actually has real information um, and is leaking it without any kind of authority. So it's kind of like that, mm-hmm. that anonymous guy who wrote mm-hmm. the Wall Street Journal opinion under the Trump administration where he or she feels that they're protecting the republic, the United States of America, yeah. from something bad. But somebody like that, shame on them. They, you know, they swore an oath. They're supposed to do their job. And they have no right to leak. And therefore, I would view their words as thoroughly unreliable because they're breaching the trust of the American public. And the third possibility, as I see it, I mean, there may be some small other possibilities, but the third main possibility is exactly what the Wall Street Journal is alluding to, which is this is a sanctioned leak, Mm -hmm. total PR move from the Department of Justice, but that completely undermines uh, Garland's position and the Department of Justice, the trust that the American people should have that, okay, at first I heard Garland's speech, I, I thought it was a bit weak, but then I thought maybe there's something that he really can't disclose. But if he says that, and then he goes out and parcels out these leaks, which may be true or not true. You know, there ultimately there should be a trial here. You can't have trial by media. Um, mm-hmm. That is even worse than the other two options. Am I wrong on any of that? I don't think so. I mean, to me, um, Merrick Garland and Christopher Ray are people who I have heard from people who know them very well are very are deeply apolitical people. Um, and I, to me, it seems very possible that um, the mess stems from an underestimation of the possible political import here, rather than a desire for a politicized outcome. Um, that seems to me the more likely alternative. I, I, I watched the um, Merrick Garland's um, press conference. He seemed to me very sincere, although you know that doesn't matter. I mean, that doesn't matter one way or the other. But I, my my reading of this is is that you know. So Christopher Ray was a Trump appointee um, and Merrick Garland, as I have heard from people who know him well, is very apolitical and that it was just an inability to recognize the political import here rather than a kind of political coup, a kind of politicized, a desire to politicize the DOJ. It was an inability to recognize how deeply that what that would look like to the American people. That's that's my reading of it. But um, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, the Wall Street Journal is, has been very, very clear and very good on all of this. All of their editorials have been spot on. You know, um, you know, the, the idea that you cannot raid a former president and potential future president in a non-political way. Right. Like that has been their line from the beginning. Um, no one is above the law. But this is this was always going to be a politicized act. And they should have prepared for that. And they should have made sure that they had the goods and they didn't do that. And they, according to the Wall Street Journal, it seems like they don't think that they do. So when they say to them, it seems like this is probably coming from higher up and is an attempt to justify after the fact, I I do think that that's a reasonable reading of the situation. And, you know, obviously, if you think that, I mean, having been in those in those rooms, in those scenarios, in those kinds of situations, that counts for a lot as well. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me and Jared Kushner, who also came out with a new book, Um, got heat for this, but I think he's right. It really smacks of the Russia collusion during the early uh, part of the Trump presidency or even before, you know, the Steele dossier. I'm not saying that it is, right? I have no idea. You have no idea. Like we said at the beginning, we just don't know yet. But so much of this seems to be a rerun. I know I'll get heat because Jared got heat for saying this uh, by repeating it, but how many times have we seen this movie? Maybe this movie will end differently but I think it's not unfair to say, hmm, I think I've been here before. 
Yeah. And we know the role. We now know the role the FBI played in the whole Russiagate hoax. So it's, you know, again, to me, it keeps coming down to um, there, there. You cannot expect your political opponents to carry your water. And over and over and over again, we're seeing that the gaslighting coming out of this, you know, administration and coupled with what they put Trump through. Um, and to me, you know, you know, Trump, the man is less important than what he represents, of course, to you, because you know him so well, it's different. But to me, you know, he really is just the tribune of the forgotten working class of of every race we're increasingly seeing, you know, of, of every party. And um, as that tribune, when they dunk on him, when they um, treat him not as a legitimate president, when they do all of that, the, the, the working class gets the message loud and clear that the people who um, who destroyed their communities with offshoring of manufacturing, who destroyed their children's futures, um, who are now bearing the brunt of the fentanyl crisis because of the open border, right? These not only did the elites do this to them, but now they have they have contempt and they express their contempt for them every single day. So they destroyed their lives and now they have contempt for the very people whose lives they destroyed. Like that to me is what Trumpism represents more than anything else. And that deserves a lot of respect. We have to, that th those are our neighbors and our fellow Americans, and we destroyed their lives and their communities and their children's futures. And, you know, the, the, the man they chose, we have to treat him as the person that they chose. I mean, that's that's what he represents so much more than just Trump, the man who has no idea what's in the boxes in his basement. Yeah. Look, that reminds me really of the Hillary Clinton comment of the deplorables. Right? Yeah. You know, there is such contempt there. Yeah. So uh, we could probably talk about this for hours, but I think we've run out of time. I just want to ask you one last question. I always try to ask, you know, what are the lessons learned so far? And I, I, I want to wrap up with some of the comments that you made both in your piece as well as in the rising um, pieces that you did. One is the experts have nothing on you. The second is read everything for yourself, be skeptical and do your homework. The, and the third is never forget to have compassion for the other side. So all three important. Uh, while I fully agree with one and two, number three actually really strikes a chord with me. Mm -hmm. But if you could speak to just those three, so my listeners could sort of leave this podcast with not only understanding that this is all we know, let's take a deep breath, don't believe everything, um, but give them some tools with which to process the news reports over the coming period until we actually tr get some accurate information as things truly unfold, not in the press, but through whatever the mechanisms are that are supposed to work here. Oh, I love this assignment. It's so sacred. Um, thank you. Um, I would say um, be better than the people who hate you and who have contempt for you, you know, be better than the journalists who are uh, trying to erase you and smear you uh, have bring to this issue a level of skepticism and critique of your own biases, because that is the thing that they're missing. The inability to distinguish what they hope is true about President Trump from what is true, um, their inability to distinguish their contempt for you with what happens to be the case. Um, so don't sink to their level. Don't meet them at the bottom. Um, be good journalists, be good citizen journalists with every piece of information you get. Ask yourself, how likely is it? How much do I want this to be true? 
and then wait, be patient, wait for more information um, and don't smear the people who disagree with you. Allow for the fact that maybe the thing you don't want to be true is true. You know, maybe the people you hate who treat you poorly are right in this case. That doesn't really mean that much. Um, you know, bring that compassion to the table. And, you know, what I always say is, you know, um, be be part of the solution. Be a person who's working to stitch back together the fabric of American society rather than one of the elites who's benefiting from driving us apart. Really important. I think we have lost compassion. The stitching back the nation is such an important point. Sabacha, thank you for being a guest here. Thanks for writing these pieces. Um, thanks for these words of wisdom, especially these last sort of wrap-up thoughts. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Lots to think about, folks. I mean, the take-home to me is we just don't know the information, right? I'm just seeing so much reporting out there accusing President Trump of so many things, right? But nobody really knows. The only one, There's a handful of people, I should say, who know President Trump, of course, perhaps, perhaps some close to him. I don't know that. Department of Justice, FBI, maybe a few others. But so many of the journalists are writing these reports based on pure conjecture, leaking by people who either have no authority to leak, might have their own agenda, or if they have authority to leak, then they really are undermining our democracy and the Department of Justice work because they shouldn't be leaking. All that information should be kept quiet. So we'll see how this unfolds. None of us can really know what's happening, but I thought this was a very worthwhile conversation. While I'm here, by the way, just a reminder, if you want to learn more about peace in the Middle East, the Abraham Accords, Israel and Israel's neighbors, our Arab allies, and of course, President Trump. My thoughts on President Trump as someone who's worked for him for 23 years. Do make sure to pick up a copy of my new book, In the Path of Abraham. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you get your books. Until next time, I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek.